Peter was so many things. And we know him as one of the key disciples of Jesus. And we're going to be entering into a series, quite a long series, on the life of Peter. And I ask you to join me in exploring this man who is mentioned so many times, and it's just not all good. Some of the things about Peter's life are very real, and he is flawed. The title of this series is From Shifting Sand to Solid Rock. And so today will be an introduction of the life of Peter. But the first thing I have to tell you about Peter is that Peter had a life before Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he was many things. And many of us have had a life before Jesus. How did Jesus come to become more than just a name to you? I know many of you were raised in the church, and you knew all about Jesus from an early age. You know, I think about Danny. Danny has told me that he was, you know, in church from his birth. Five. Oh, five. Many of you have been there, and you were brought to church early on, and you always heard about Jesus. But at some point, you have to know Jesus. Not just know about him, but to know him. And that was true for Peter as well. Before he met Jesus, Peter had a very normal life. It was a very different life from the one that he would have for the rest of his days. Because when you have a real encounter with Jesus, as Peter did, Jesus changes everything. He changes your life. And if you aren't different after you really meet Jesus, you haven't really met Jesus. Because a normal life is never the same once you meet Jesus. So what do we know about this man, Peter? Well, his name wasn't even Peter. That was a nickname. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah. Or sometimes it's translated into the Greek as John. Sometimes he's called Simeon. Two times in the New Testament he's referred to in this way. Uh, he would likely have been called by his Aramaic name, language, uh, Shimon. Now, Shimon is an interesting word because it's related to the word Shema. Or the Shema is, is that, Lord, you are one, and love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That was, that was, it was a call to Israel to listen. That's what the name means, to listen or to hear. Peter doesn't seem to live up to his name very well. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and I would call you to listen to this, to really hear and to respond to, to his life in your life. Uh, Simon was a very common name. It's actually the name of nine different men in the New Testament. Uh, two of the disciples were named Simon, and one of Jesus' brothers was, his half-brothers was named Simon. Uh, and it's a very famous name because uh, about 150 years before Jesus, there was a revolt of the Jews against the then oppressors, and it was by a group, uh, a family really group, called the Maccabees. And Simon 
Maccabee became a king and high priest for the Jews. And they had autonomous rule for just a short time until the Romans swept in. But that name Simon came to be associated with a warrior. Simon the warrior. And, and even in the, the disciples, Simon the zealot. That, that went hand in hand. People understood, oh, your name is Simon. We're expecting revolutionary things out of you. Uh, he became the ruler, Simon Maccabee, in 164. And he rededicated the temple. He, he restored the rule of God in the land of Israel. And parents named their son Simon in hope that, that once again a warrior were to rise. Many thought, that the Messiah himself would be a warrior. So we know that about Simon. He had that name. Did he live up to that name? Pretty well, I think. Uh, he was born in Bethsaida. Now, the English translation is Bethsaida, and we say that most often, but say this with me. Bethsaida. Bethsaida. The, the emphasis is on the duh. Okay? That's where he was from which really means house of a hunter or house of fishermen. It was a small town. It was just north of the Sea of Galilee on the east side of the Jordan River, right where it enters the lake. Now, this is the place that's very near where Jesus fed the 5,000. And it's also right at the place just outside of this town is where he healed a blind man uh, by spitting and making mud. This, that's this place. Uh, several of the disciples were from here. Uh, Peter and Andrew were born there, and also Philip was from here. Beth Saida. Well, being in that proximity, why was he there? Well, because he came from a family of fishermen. Fishing was the family business. No doubt his father and grandfather before him to generations were fishermen. Uh, he, but he owned the boat. Now that tells us something significant. He just wasn't a fisherman, but he was in that family business. Perhaps his father had died, but he owned the boat. And he had partners in this fishing business. Andrew, his brother, and James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee. But he owned the boat. That means that he was in business. He was not just a fisherman, he was a businessman. Now, I, I need to tell you that amongst the people of Galilee, the Jewish population, they were kind of looked down upon. Uh, there's an interesting word here, amaritz, amaretz. Uh, this word literally means people of the land. And so they were considered people of the land. And, and, and in the time of Peter, it meant that they were poor and considered uneducated, lower class, particularly people who were not careful with the Jewish law. And you know what? In our vernacular today, we would call them hicks from the sticks or uh, country bumpkins. Uh, and the Jews looked down upon these people of Galilee because they were out there from the sticks and and, and they saw these people as, and, and people liked Peter as ignorant, and they looked down on him. Now, the fishing trade was a tough, tough, tough craft. It was often ridiculed, though. Uh, the wealthy people ate uh, lamb, 
and sometimes they would have other meat, but most of the poor people, the best they could have would be fish. And the fresh fish went to the wealthy people as well, so what did the poorer people have? They had dried fish. That was their major staple of the diet. And so they always wanted to kind of ridicule the fishermen because, oh, you're fishmongers, you're jacking up the price, oh, this. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Seattle and, because I grew up there and the fishermen were not poor <laughs> or ignorant. Uh, they worked very hard. And if you go down to Pike Place, you can see them throw salmon that, that cost probably $100 each. And it, it's, it's an incredible thing. So the other disciples... Uh, are mentioned in the Gospels. But if you would look at Peter, he is the disciple. He is the lead disciple. Uh, he eventually becomes the leading follower of Jesus. The other disciples are barely mentioned. Uh, their names are appear in the Gospel, mostly in a list of disciples. But John uh, is mentioned about 20 times. And Judas Iscariot is mentioned 20 times. They're not mentioned for the same reason, you understand. So it's not always good to get your name mentioned. Andrew is mentioned 12 times. Thomas the Doubter, 10 times. And most of the other disciples are mentioned only three times in the Gospels. Peter, are you ready for this? Is mentioned 120 times way more than all the other uh, disciples combined. He is the leading figure, not only in the Gospels, but also in the first part of the book of Acts, too. Uh, even though they had kind of a rocky relationship, Paul and Peter uh, did work together, and, and Paul named Peter one of the pillars of the church, along with James and John. Uh, and, you know, they, they were entrusted, as Paul said, I have been entrusted to take the message to the Gentiles. Peter has been entrusted to take the message to the Jews. And so both were needed. But know this, it was Peter, not Paul, who was considered Rome's first bishop and is still considered the founding pope in the Catholic Church today. Now, Peter is also a family man. We know that he was married. Uh, even he took uh, his wife on a mission trip. Uh, he was a, a family man. He had a son. He probably had a son. He, he was a husband. Perhaps he, he was a father. Legend, and it can't be documented at all, said that he had three children. We don't really know for sure. But we do know that he was a brother. And he had a brother. And in the beginning... Uh, Peter is Andrew's brother. Now, I tried to look it up to, to figure out and see if you can find it. I could not find out if Andrew was older or Peter was older. What I could tell was that most often it's Peter and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, like it's James and John. So that's an indication that perhaps the oldest would be mentioned first. So we might assume that Peter was the older brother. He also owned the boat. Maybe he was that, that would have come to the older brother. So Andrew might have been older, but he was first to follow Jesus. So I, I think it's more likely that Peter was the oldest. But Andrew was a disciple. Before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. And he was one 
who followed the teachings of this wild rabbi in the wilderness. We're going to take a look at our scripture now. This is from the book of John. Now, many of us have this idea that Jesus came along, called these fishermen to be disciples, and the very first time they ever met him, they left everything and followed him. Well, I don't think as we study that, that that's actually true. But a lot of people think that way. I think actually Peter is going to be called by Jesus four different times. And we're going to be looking at the calling of Peter next week. But for today, we begin with a first encounter. This is John chapter 1, verse 35. Now, John 1 talks about John the Baptist. John John the Baptist is preaching out there in the wilderness. Many people are coming to him, but he knows clearly that his purpose is to turn people toward the coming Messiah. But he's he's kind of the warm-up act for the Messiah, okay? So here it is, verse 35. Uh, The following day, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. We believe that these disciples are Andrew and the one who's writing this, John. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Now when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now doesn't that seem strange that all of a sudden, they would drop following being disciples of John the Baptist, who was getting quite a crowd. And they would immediately follow Jesus. Something in Andrew and John had, had prepared them. John the Baptist had done something to prepare them to follow Jesus. And John was about this. I'm going to decrease. Jesus is going to increase. And so it's natural that he would say, hey, follow that guy. So they started following Jesus. Two, Andrew and probably John. Jesus looked around, and he saw them following. And he said this, what do you want? Now, how do you suppose he said, what do you want? You know, I can remember times when when I was doing something and somebody uh, tried to grab my attention, interrupted me, and I would say it like this. What do you want? I don't think that's what was happening here. I think Jesus really wanted to know, what is it that you really want? And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves today. What do we want? What do we want from our spiritual life? We have this God-shaped hole in us, and it needs to be filled. And Jesus, by His Spirit, can fill that. What do you want? What do you want when you go to church? What do you want when you read the Bible? What do you want when you tell someone else about Jesus? What do you want? What do you want? Why are you following me? What do you want? That's what He asked them. And, you know, I'm not sure... uh, this seems kind of a funny response here, and it's been many years and translated into English, but, but they replied, well, they, the first thing they said was rabbi. Now, John here, actually right in the script, puts, puts uh, which means teacher. You know, John is writing to mostly a non-Jewish audience. John's gospel is the last gospel to be written, and, he, and so he explains this Jewish word, 
to people. It means teacher. So at first, Andrew and John recognized Jesus as a teacher. And it was very common for teachers to gather around themselves disciples. And so what do they say? Well, uh, um, well, where are you staying? Is that what they wanted to know? They wanted to know where Jesus was staying? I don't know why they said that, but Jesus makes one of the great responses that we need to remember too. Come and see. And you know, Andrew and John are going to come and they're going to see incredible things. They're going to be changed because they're going to meet Jesus. They're the very first ones to recognize him and follow him. Come and see. And you're not going to believe the things you're going to see. Well, I want to tell you today, to, to know Jesus, to be a Christian, we say, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I know Jesus. But maybe we are called to something even greater. To come and really see. To really follow Jesus. To be a disciple. And I have to tell you today, I think there's a difference today between being a Christian and being a true follower of Christ, a, a real disciple. And it's a pretty high mark to do that, to follow Jesus. So where are you staying? Well, come and see. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they went with him to the place where he was staying. Uh, it could have been the Sabbath, and so they weren't allowed to walk after dark, and so they remained with him the rest of the day, meaning up till 6 a.m. the next day. Now, what we find from this short little passage is that Andrew is the very first to follow Jesus as a disciple. There is a word that the uh, Orthodox Church uses. It's proteleos, which means first call. In the Orthodox tradition, Andrew is the first called, the first to bring others to Jesus. He's the first, and he's recognized as that. We know that it was Andrew who introduced Peter to Jesus. Jesus would later use his brother to bring 3,000 to himself in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. But it was Andrew. Not only did he bring his brother, but it was Andrew who brought the little boy. He, he just got a couple of fish here and some loaves of bread, but what's that among so many? And what did Jesus do? He blessed what Andrew brought, and he fed 5,000 men and a whole lot of women and children as well. And, and then there's another time where Andrew is mentioned. There was a contingent of Greeks who came to Jerusalem and they were seeking God. They wanted to know and they heard about Jesus and they wanted to, to meet Jesus. We would see Jesus, they said. And it was Andrew that brought him to the master. Okay, let's pick up again in first, or John 1 at verse 40. So it says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. Now, as John is writing this, often he refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the other disciple. or you know, And like when Peter and John run to the tomb, it's Peter and the other disciple. But then at the very end, he says, oh yeah, by the way, it's me. You know, So he reveals himself 
I, I think that's the case here, that, that he is that other disciple. He, he's an eyewitness to all of this that took place. So we know that Andrew, the first thing he did was to go find his brother, to find his sibling, and to look at what he did. He, he went and found his brother, Simon, and he told him, we have found the Messiah. Here again, John explains Messiah means Christ. Well, do you understand the word Messiah the, the, in the uh, Hebrew also means in Greek, Christ. A lot of people think that's Jesus' last name. No, Jesus' last name on earth was Bar-Joseph, son of Joseph. Uh, but his title is the Christ, which literally means the anointed one, the very one of God who God is going to use to bring his people back to him. It says on verse 42, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John. Here again, the word John is used instead of Jonah, and so there's some discrepancy of why that is. But either way, for John's audience, he says that. But then look at what Jesus says. You will be called Cephas, or we say Cephas which means Peter. Peter is an interesting word because Cephas is actually the Greek word for Peter or for stone is what it means. But Peter is the more common vernacular. So maybe Peter is like calling him the rock. Way before Dwayne Johnson, that pro wrestler, took on the rock persona, Jesus says, okay, you're, you're rock. And maybe more attuned to a fighter, Rocky Balboa, you're, you're going to be rocky. You know? uh, it, it's so interesting. We still have that concept of something solid and great. But remember, at this time, Peter's still shifting sand. He may be nicknamed the rock by Jesus, but he is a long way from being solid. When Jesus looked at Simon... I mean, he immediately looked deep within him, and we can only guess what he saw or, or why he said what he did. But Jesus changed his name from Simon, which means to listen, to Cephas, which means stone or rock, um, Petros, Peter. John never fully explains the significance of this encounter or the reason for the, the name change. But this is certain that Jesus saw in Peter something that could be. It wasn't there, but he saw something that could be, what he could become. And that is the same for us today. We hear about Jesus, but then we have to know who Jesus really is. We have to accept Christ. We become a Christian. But wait, there's more. Jesus sees potential in you to be more than just a Christian. He wants you to be a disciple. So here is the question. What is your name? I, I want to share a story. I don't know if you sh heard this before. I heard this story when I was in college. And it, it kind of bugged me when I heard this story the very first time. It's, um, it's a story that kind of gets in your face a little bit. So guess what? 
in advance, would you please forgive me for getting in your face for a little bit right now? Here we go. This is a story that comes out of the legend of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. We don't have any pictures of him, but there's some, some statues of what he could have looked like. You know that he was this, um, we call him Greek, but he was as, actually a Macedonian. And he was a young man, came to the throne of his father, little bitty kingdom, and he conquered the world, conquered the known world from uh, Italy, what we know now, to India, just all that area. The known, civilized, Western world was first conquered by Alexander the Great. So, Alexander the Great, uh, was he great? He got the great added on to his name, which that's how we know him. Uh, he's one of the world's greatest warriors. He was a great general, um, but he died very young. Some say maybe with epilepsy, and, and, uh, but his army conquered most of the known world at the time. And so here's the story. In one of Alexandria's, Alexander's armies, there was a young boy. Now, understand that um, when it says young boy, usually about the time they became teenagers, they were considered men at this time. Alexander himself only lived to be 35. So, so here's this young soldier, really just a boy, not even called young man, a boy. And, but he was handsome, and he was strong, and he was... He was a skilled fighter, even as a young lad. And, but it seemed during a very fierce battle that this boy became frightened, and he hid himself in a cave. And evidently this legend is, or this story has come down through the years, so I wonder what the actual truth of it is, but, but remember this is a story that's going to get in your face, okay? So this is just background stuff. So, when he uh, was found, he was immediately brought before Alexander for judgment. You know what? If for showing fear in battle, for running and hiding, you would be killed. But Alexander looks at this young boy, and he's terrified. He's in fear of his life, as he should be. And he took compassion on him. And he asked him, well, son, what is your name? And the young man answered back, quietly, like under his voice, and, and he said, Alexander? And on hearing this, Alexander the Great said, what is your name? And the boy raised his voice a little stronger, and, and he said, Alexander. Once again, Alexander, really sternly now, just, what is your name? And the young lad responded once again in a very sheepish voice, Alexander, sir. And on hearing this, the great general exploded in anger and he picked up his sword and he raised it over the kid's head and he said, change your conduct or change your name. I told you it would get in your face. And on reading this story, I myself wonder. I wonder if Christ thinks the same thing about us. I mean, we, we say we're Christians, which means little Christ. Christ followers. Christ-like. God-fearing people. And we even wear that name Christian. 
But it all boils down to this. Do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of being called a follower of Christ? Peter in no way is doing that early on. He is shifting sand, but he's going to be a solid rock. And perhaps in your life, there, there are times when you are shifting sand because there is a real difference between being a solid follower of Jesus and being what we would call a wishy-washy Christian, a lukewarm Christian. Now, I'm not here to judge you today. I'm here to get you to judge yourself. Okay? The, if 21 times in the Gospels, Jesus says, look, follow me. He has to say it over and over. I think he calls Peter to do it four different times. We'll look at that next week. And, and he says, follow me. And he says, do the things that I'm doing. And, and Jesus says, we need to be like him. And I wonder, as I look at the modern church, and I wonder how much like Jesus is the modern church. Are we truly following him? Are we really disciples? Or are we merely Christians who say we really know him? Well, I don't know if we really know him. If we're not becoming like him, we don't really know him. Jesus says we need to be like him. We need to be like him in every facet of our life. Okay, now I want you to look with me at a, a kind of a, a closure to this out of Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4.14. Paul's talking about all these false things that the church is getting sucked into. I think there's a lot of things that the church is getting sucked into in our day and age as well. But then he says this, there's going to be a transformation in you. Then, verse 14, you will no longer be immature like children, like young Alexander who ran away. Was he afraid? Sure. Would you be? I think so. So don't be like an immature children. Don't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I am amazed in the church today when every new teaching comes up and a whole group of Christians go and follow it. I, I talked to you before uh, about you know all the people that, that followed, followed uh, Harold Camping and, and said, hey, the end of the world's happening. They, they chased after these teachings. He goes on to say, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. There's a lot of people who would like to bring Christianity, bring the church down. And, and, and so there's all kinds of, of thoughts and lies that go around. But I like this next word. It's the word instead. So instead of being an immature Christian tossed around a nominal Christian or whatever that means, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, because he is the head of the body, the church. You are not the head of yourself. Jesus is your head. You are just part of the body. And, and we are to speak the truth in love. Hey, have you liked the story of Alexander the Great today? I told you it was going to be in your face. Did you feel offended by that? I felt highly offended when I first heard that. And then I let the truth seep in and I realized, oh, yes, that's true. 
We need to speak the truth. We need to do it in love, but we need to share the truth. It says in verse 16 that Jesus is the one who makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part grows in its own special work. You have special work to do. Are you doing your work? Are you solid in that? Are you shifting sand? It goes on to say it helps the other parts grow. When you do your part, you help the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Is the church healthy today? Is the church growing today? Is the church full of love? Those are trademarks of the church. Healthy, growing, full of love. At this point in his life, Peter's interested in spiritual things. He comes with his brother and he meets Jesus. But he goes back to fishing. Jesus is going to have another encounter with him. We'll learn about that next week. But know this. For a long time, Peter is going to be with Jesus. He's going to be seeing the things Jesus does. And he's still very flawed as a human being, as we all are. Peter is shifting sands for a long time. And that's the question we ask ourselves. Am I a shifting sand or am, am I becoming the solid rock? that only the Spirit of God in me can make happen. When we look at his journey, Peter's journey, it's not smooth. It is filled with ups and downs, with, with goods and bads, with flaws and some victories. Now next we're going to look at the calling of Simon. He's still Simon. He hasn't become really Peter yet. And often he is considered Simon Peter. Simon, the rock. He's not rocky yet, but he's in training. And so are we, because that's what it means to be a disciple, to find a teacher worth following, and to listen to him and watch him and become like him. And so my challenge to each of us today is to become like Peter. And if we're going to be known by the name Christian, then, then maybe there's some conduct that we need to change. So change your conduct or change your name. In the life of Peter, we see a flawed individual. And when we look in the mirror, we see the same thing. But if we will truly really, truly get behind Jesus fully with every aspect of our life, we will become what he has called us to be. It won't be the same as Peter. We'll, he calls you to do your part in his body, the church. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this series, The Life of Peter, because we can look at Peter and all his foibles and we don't have to look at our own. Your job is after you look at Peter, to look at your own. I am not going to come alongside you and point those out. Even though as I look around, I can see some things that I would like to be in judgment over. 
I can even look through the camera out to those who are watching this video this week and say, hey, you've got some flaws. You're supposed to be a Christian. How come you're not at church? Well, some people shouldn't be here, but some should. Oh boy, I better stop. We get to be known as Christ followers, and we get to love the world. We get to do it with truth. We get to bring them hope. Let's do it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us. You sent Jesus to earth so that we could learn about him and become like him, and he went back to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit, so he could connect with our spirits, and we could truly become what you called us to be. Really, what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Make it so. Lord, there are some right now who need to examine themselves and say, well, I say I'm a Christian, but I'm sure not a disciple. And it's time right now to confess that to you, Lord, and become who you have called us to be. Make it so, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.